Okay, so we're live. Let's see how this thing goes. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast. My name is Patrick Hayes, and with me, as always, is a bunch of uh, poorly defined squiggly lines. At least that's what I see on my screen. Hopefully, you guys can all see Caleb bright and clear on your screen. Nope, it's showing up on Facebook really badly. So uh, that's okay. Um, I'll, re I'll restart this, see if I can get it right. Okay. Caleb and I, we, we're both married, and our wives have told us that we have a face for radio. So the fact that one of us isn't coming through that clearly isn't that big of a deal. So <clears throat> uh, Doug Murphy, welcome. Thanks for joining us from Florida. Uh, as some of you might know uh, or saw the event that was just posted Next week, we are going to be talking about obeying the government and what the Bible has to say about that and how that's going to work out. Because I'll tell you what, uh, that conversation needs to happen because a lot of stuff is coming at us <laughs> to where we are going to want to figure out, you know, exactly where the line is and uh, when do we obey the government? How do we obey the government? And when do we make a stand? for our beliefs. So bear with me as we start. I always am just clicking on the video and sharing it to a couple pages to try to get some people uh, listening. As a matter of fact, I understand that a lot of our followers would probably be of the persuasion where they don't want their friends knowing that they watch and listen to us regularly. But if you can overcome that, I would ask that you would share this video as soon as you start playing it. So that way, um, more people can join in to the live video as we get going. So I'm doing that. And I would ask that you maybe think about doing that. Let's see if this works. That's not it at all. Okay, there we go. Okay, with that being said, we're waiting. Oh, look at that. Caleb's with us. We're going to bring him in, and then we're going to start talking about something exciting. Hey, Caleb, welcome. How are you doing this week? Doing good. Am I good. Uh, clear Clear on here now, or is it still messed up? Uh, clear as a bell. Okay, good. Yeah, so you're fine. So I was just sharing everything, and I was uh, telling everyone else to do that. I also reminded everyone that I understand if they're ashamed of the fact that they watch us regularly and they don't want their friends knowing that. Um, so, you know, that that doesn't surprise me and I, I don't blame them for not wanting to share this video. Okay, here we go. So what do you want to talk about tonight? Um, I was, I'm pretty interested in Bitcoin. That's been moving. I don't know if we want to talk about that. That's pretty exciting. Oh man. Yeah, that's good for you, I guess, because you had some <laughs> foresight and put your money well, in there did, ahead of time. Didn't we do the math uh, when uh, I, at one point I said I have, uh, I don't know, five times or 12 times more Bitcoin than Elon Musk? Oh, right. He, he just bought his first like one tenth of a Bitcoin and it made the news. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> okay, so. Tonight, what we're supposed to be talking about, the reason everybody tuned in is to hear us talk about husbands and fathers. So I know you did a lot of prep work to get ready for this hour. So do you want to jump in and start? 
Oh yeah. I I was actually thinking about that earlier because I called you on my way back from Waco and I was thinking, I don't know if I've ever had this little prep work on a, on a, on a subject ahead of time. Um, but you are a husband and a father. Surely you've heard yeah, it's preaching like, on the subject through your life. <laughs> yeah. Father's day, father's day, this last um, time we had a father's day going around at church. I was like, uh, so what do we, what do we sing? And uh, somebody, somebody's like, well, we should th- kind of theme the service around father's day. I was like, well, I guess we can just sing. You're a good, good father on repeat for like <laughs> 15 minutes. Okay. I want to see if I can get a single amen out of our audience who here is sick of mother's day messages are they not the most patronizing message you hear all year at church every year i roll my eyes and i'm like do these do these ladies really eat this up i'm like these are so patronizing you know they try so hard to be over the top about you know how mothers are the you know greatest thing in the world and it's the hardest job and you know they just go on and on about it and i'm like oh so anyway maybe that's just one more reason we'll lose some viewers but i think it's a little over the top but okay all right it's good to have stephen blue on here uh i'm not gonna let you keep this relationship on the down low just gonna go ahead and name you on the on the episode. Is that a new follower, a new viewer? Um, no, he's been on in the past. Um, in fact, we had him on. Remember, we had him on. Was he the fellow uh, that joined us for uh, drinking? Christians drinking. He was no. on with us. For, we had a guy. We on had for him that. on on another episode. I don't remember which one it was. Now it's all right, but um, he probably remember. Okay, so give me your favorite verse. Okay, what is the verse that beats up on husbands and fathers? Because I want to raise the bar for husbands and fathers, and I want to do it on this podcast, and I want to give them, you know, something that they need to shoot for. I want husbands and fathers thinking that they are not living up to God's mandate, and they need to get on the stick, and they need to start doing their job so we can change the world for Jesus. So what verse would you start with if you wanted to preach that message? Um. So if you are going to be a good dad in 2020, you need your jet, you need your jet skis, right? Because you got to take your family out to the lake. Yeah. So you gotta have um, them jet skis. That's good. Yeah. So I was thinking we should start with some verses about that. And obviously season tickets, season tickets to professional sporting events. Okay. I don't care if it's basketball. Okay, do you want to look up the scripture about that or, while I look up the one yep, about jet I'll skis? I'll find out okay. season tickets. That's easy. It's somewhere in the back. I can find that one. Okay, what else do oh, we man. need for dads? All right, so I'm going to go with Ephesians here um, and off of the jet ski subject. But there, here's okay. a couple of mine that are, as far as a husband and a father, these are two verses that oftentimes I find to be, um, they come to mind. So Ephesians 5, we'll go with the husband thing first. Mm-hmm. Get them. Uh, we'll go with verse 25 husbands love your wives even as christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify Mm -hmm. and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word and then if we go to ephesians 6 verse 4 um this one right here is 
hard to do sometimes, but I'm going to go ahead and read it anyways. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So it seems that it's kind of important for us not to provoke our children to wrath as much as it is important for us to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So those are two, two of my, uh, two of my go-to verses is Ephesians um, on husbands and fathers. But what do you got? You got no, one those of the season passes good. there? Yeah. Well, let me, let me start because you brought it up. So let's start with that one about uh, Ephesians chapter five. Da, 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 da. Where is it? Okay. Uh, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Okay, so I think this this one verse, <clears throat> to me, really hammers home the idea uh, it is very much against selfishness and it is very much against laziness because Jesus giving himself for the church was the most selfless act recorded in history. Jesus gave himself for lots of people that don't like him, that even hate him. And what the Bible is telling us here is that's the way that we need to live our lives for our wives. So the lazy husband, the selfish husband that wants things his way, that doesn't want to, you know, do the work, um, doesn't want to protect and take care of. Uh, I believe these verses are just poking the sky right in the eye and saying, you know, you're a joke. Um, You know, if there's one thing that I believe every husband should do is he should plan on giving his life for his wife. He should plan on giving up any areas of his life that he needs to for his wife. Uh, And this is going to... This is the Bible verse where it says happy wife, happy life. Yep. Too. <laughs> in the in the, the uh modern in the, anyway, continue. I'll I'll continue to read on in a minute, but that's it does go into that and get Yeah. So <clears throat> I think there are far too many guys that get stuck in uh trying to live their dreams, which I think is one of the stupidest sayings that is ruining America. And uh, there are too many guys that are getting stuck uh, living out their their hobbies and pursuing these things. And that is not what you're called to. That's not what you're called to at all. And it's only in America where we have the freedom and we have the wealth and we have the time to be able to pursue these things where you're really see, seeing this push. There are a lot of countries that don't have the wealth that we do, and you have to focus you know, the majority of your life on work and family, and there's really not any time for anything else. And I think because we have that ability, I, I, I really see that it, it hurts a lot of us because there are so many dads that They pursue their dream. They pursue their hobbies. And those hobbies and dreams, they can do by themselves. They don't have anything to do with their wife or their kids. And because of that, they're not spending the time that they need to um, with their wives, with their children, and for their wives, uh, doing the things that um, uh, are going to bring peace and satisfaction uh, and happiness to their wives. 
and it's uh, it, it's terrible to see. Um, but anyway, uh, that, that that's what jumps out at me when I when I you know read Ephesians five uh, about husbands loving your wives because it 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 defines it as giving your life for her to the point of death. And the fact is, none of us are probably ever going to have to, you know, jump in front of a bullet for our wives. You know, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about giving our lives for our wives every day. And I'm not going to try to, you know, uh, toot my own horn, you know, but I can tell you that I know how hard Caleb works and Caleb works hard so that his wife is able to stay home with the kids and raise the kids the way that him and his wife have decided they want to see their kids raised. And someone that does not have the willingness and the work ethic, they are not going to be able to provide that, you know, uh, for their wives. Okay, man, that, that's what I got. It's just that my wife lives on a tight budget. <laughs> well, that's so. also good. I mean, that's, that's another great thing. But believe me, you've met plenty of guys that are just flat lazy. And I always feel bad for their wives. Yeah. So I, I was wondering if you had a scripture that made me feel better, uh, like for, for fathers that feel like you pretty much fail about 50 to 75% of the time. <laughs> and then your friend's like, hey, hey, we should get on Facebook and do a video about like husband <laughs> fathers here and tell everybody how to run their lives. <laughs> Well, you know what the the the, the problem is. Um, what I'm what I'm going to try to do is stay away from any areas that I do well in because the last thing I wanted to do is just get on here and toot my own horn, talk about how I'm the greatest dad in the world because I'm not, <laughs> you know, at all. Uh, but right. I I have I can tell you that the successes in my life have come from a handful of verses. So you, you mentioned Ephesians chapter six. Tell me what that said again. What what verse was that? So Ephesians, Ephesians uh, chapter six, verse four says, and you fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Okay. So tell me how you think a father can succeed at bringing their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Um, I would say take them out on the lake as often as you can. Make sure that they sit in front of YouTube, turn on the, turn on. Actually, go with they need rather than smartphones, lots of them, <laughs> tablets, smartphones, smart TVs, all in their room. Make sure they have uninhibited Wi-Fi access. If they get so, if they can watch enough Internet to where they forget your name, that's ideal. Then then, you know, you're getting close. <laughs> Actually, I saw this ad the other day on Facebook or someplace like that where I was trying to nurture my children. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this ad. I think it said that most children nowadays spend an average of six hours per day in front of a screen and only 20 minutes per day with quality one-on-one -on -one contact with their parents. So this is probably where the verse about um, about the, the, the boat comes in. I don't know about the jet ski, but the boat, <laughs> take your kids to the lake and throw the smartphones out <laughs> in, the um, lake. in the lake. Oh, man. So... Well, I'm not going to get into too much detail on this because I, obviously we all had probably um, bad and good experiences with our own, with our own parents um, and our own bad experiences with our own children. And I would say that on any of these things, 
it doesn't matter how good or bad of a dad that you are being present in your children's life is nowadays being present at all. Uh, there's a lot of kids that don't even grow up with fathers in the home. So don't, don't beat yourself up too bad. If you're watching this and you're like, man, I'm really a kind of a bad dad. Um, I think we all are, we all have our bad moments. I have my lazy moments. I have times where I really don't feel like being um, there, being present. I'd rather plan on jumping in front of a bullet for my wife, you know, mm -hmm. 10 years down the road or even right now than taking out the trash yeah. <laughs> because I'm sitting in front of the air conditioner and that's really all I feel like doing right now. So we all have our moments and none of us are, are great at, at anything. Um, but anyways, I would say that um, of all of the good things that you do for your children, it doesn't matter how, how good you do and how present you are in their lives. If you have a temper and you fly off the handle at just any given moment, because of this or that, and your children remember you for that, and you provoke your children to wrath constantly, that is, that can easily offset all the good that you ever did for your kids. And you can end up with kids that want nothing to do with you. Um, eventually, maybe even in their teenage years when they need you the most, they, they shut you out of their life because you were the, the constantly um, over-the-top, angry, too-present of a dad. So as you are present with your children, you got to be um, gentle with your children to a certain degree, not that they don't need discipline or that you can't be strict with them, but you got to also have that relationship where you, where they know you and trust you. Um, I would say this is, I could be, I'm, I feel like I'm doing an experiment with my children with parenting and I, I, I may find out that years down the road that it was a failure and I'll, I'll be happy to get on here and let you guys know. But I would say that if your children don't feel like they can be honest with you mm -hmm. um, about things, if they don't open up and they don't talk to you, there's something that you need to do on your end as a father to change the direction that you're going with your children. Your children should feel comfortable talking to you. Um, of course, as they get older, they're going to have friends that they confide in more than they do with their parents. But that starts at an early age of teaching your children to be honest and allowing them to be honest with you and constantly constantly um, exasperating your children, wearing them out over this or that uh, is a really good way to, to get your children to shut down at an early age and not have an open relationship with them. And I, um, I well, I'll say this, I, there's a lot of things that my parents did really, really good at. And I grew up in a great home. If I could raise my kids as good as my parents did, I would be very, I would be very thankful that I was able to raise my family as good as my parents did. But one thing that there, that there was, looking back, there was a lot of times that the children were exasperated. <laughs> and um, I think this goes, should go for both mothers and fathers not to exasperate your children. But you can easily, especially, um, especially when you're vigilant about trying to have a, a Christian home and force your children to live as Christians, even before they are born again, you can definitely exasperate your children trying to have them be this perfect picture of a cookie cutter Christian. So anyways, that's kind of, I guess, more from the, the kid side of it, growing up in a Christian home. I, I know what it's like to be exasperated or provoked to wrath. Um, so anyways. So <clears throat> I was looking at the second part of that verse, and that is to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So I, I got to say that, well... I wonder if I, I want to come back to this verse, okay? Because 
<clears throat> but we're here now, so let's jump in. So bringing the kids up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So you need to be, your kids will not turn out to be born again believers who love God by default. It will not happen on accident. It will happen when you train your children and live your life with purpose. So if you intend for your kids to grow up to be born again to love God, then that is probably the way they are going to turn out. We need to train our children. <clears throat> and that's what the Bible is saying. Okay. <clears throat> you need to bring your kids up. You need to introduce them to the Bible. I hate to tell you, they're not going to learn about the Bible on TV or the internet or the radio, probably not going to learn about it at school or at college. Uh, although there might be exceptions, you know, that is not the rule. In the world, the world is going to pull them away from God. As a matter of fact, when we look at temptation, we know that there is the devil, there is the world, there is our flesh. Those are the things that push us away from God and lead us away from God. So we need to help our kids grow up running towards God even before they become born again. And we can do that by reading the Bible with our children. Now, Caleb, I'm a guy that for so long did not really do a good job of this. We to be fair, my kids also couldn't read. My oldest one is 13, but I'm not proud to say that we've only been getting together and really seriously reading the Bible together as a family with me and all the kids, I should say, for a couple of years. And keep in mind that the younger one, I mean, my youngest is five. He doesn't join us, nor does he get up at you know 6 a.m. every morning to, to sit there at the table and not understand what we're doing. But... <clears throat> You know, we have we made a change a little while ago because I was not satisfied with my kids and their knowledge of the Bible and their understanding of who God was. And I said, OK, here we go, God, um, loud and clear. I don't remember where I got that conviction from, whether it was a, a message I heard at church or something in my own Bible reading or a podcast. But but God spoke to me and I said, you know what, I'm either going to do this or I'm not. And I said, I'm making a change and here's the deal. And my four oldest boys, which is 13, 12, 11, and nine, get up every morning. Uh, they're up at six. I get up about a quarter till and we all go down to the dining room table and we read the Bible together. We read a chapter out of the Bible, you know, every day. And there are days where it doesn't work out. I have to leave extra early for work or, you know, something happens. But I can tell you that consistently, regularly, we read the Bible, you know, Monday through Friday every day. And, and because of that, that's given me the opportunity to teach the kids about God and to get them going in the direction where, uh, you know, they are, um, they're familiar with the Bible and reading the Bible every morning is a habit. That's really what I want to introduce them to, because I'll tell you what, when you've done the same thing every day for years, all of a sudden it's hard not to do it, you know, and, and that's been one thing that's been a blessing with, with me and the kids is when we started, it was like world war three, trying to get them up at 6am, 
you know, I mean, they were just dragging. It was not easy. And trying to get them to listen to, you know, dad read the Bible with them, it was not easy. Nowadays, you know, it, it's something that we all look forward to. We enjoy, we talk about it throughout the day. I ask them questions about stuff and, and I'm amazed at how much sticks over time, you know, and it, it's really been a good thing for me. And uh, if anyone listening is the dad that's never done that, well, that was me only a couple of years ago. And I'm telling you, um, make that change, do whatever it takes. We all had to start going to bed earlier in order to do it. We had to watch less TV at night when we were exhausted and we just, we have a hard, hard bedtime, you know, and we go that's to sleep. Kind of, so it's kind of a bummer. I don't know. I mean, you got to get up the TV to do the Bible. I don't know. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you what, I don't know about every other parent out there, but when 8 p.m. comes around and the kids, it's, they go to bed because that, that's when our kids go to bed at 8 p.m., I'm done. I am wiped out. I've got nothing left. All I can do is watch TV and eat ice cream. If my wife needs to talk to me, I'm like, sorry, should have done it two hours ago around dinner time when I had something left. I, it's over. I've got, I don't care about anything. I am wiped out from the day. And, you know, that's all I have is like, you know, I can sit on the couch and watch an hour of, of you know, some sitcom uh, before before I go to bed. And I got to, you know, I have to sometimes I can't do that. I got to go to bed early enough so I can get up early so I can read the Bible with the kids, you know, and get enough sleep. Um, so anyway, that's just what jumped out to me, you know, as far as, you know, bringing them up in the admonition of the Lord. That's that's a responsibility of the father. That's what it says right there in Ephesians 6, 4. Caleb read it. We talked about it. Okay. And you will stand before God one day and you are responsible for it. So you, the, the last point I'm going to make, and I'll, I'll let Caleb jump in here, is <clears throat> fathers, you do not get to pass the buck, period. You do not get to say, well, the church didn't do a good enough job raising, uh, teaching the Bible to my kids, or the Sunday school class didn't do a good enough job, or the Christian school didn't do a good enough job, or my wife didn't do a good enough job. You don't get to pass the buck. It stops with you. Your wife and your kids will each stand before God for themselves. You will stand be God, uh, before God and answer for yourself and your wife and kids. So you need to understand that you don't get to blame anyone else. It's your responsibility. You're in charge. Act like it. Okay, that's all I got for Ephesians 6.4. How's that for a Mother's Day message? Oh, yeah, Stephen Ballou, he was the one that was on our episode about prayer. Um, he was oh, okay. on with us. I think it was the only time that we ever had a third person on where one of them wasn't in person. Um, and he also mentioned that verse out of Proverbs, raise up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. That's, um, I think, what you're doing there with your children by putting the Bible into their heads at an early age. And um, that is, I'm not sure if I know if I have the answers to it. I guess you're doing the experiment. You've got a bunch of boys, so it's a little different than me with three girls. Yeah. Um, yeah. Our families are different. I have five boys and one girl. Caleb has three girls. So, so right out of the gate, I mean, do we really want to take parenting advice from someone like Caleb who God <laughs> clearly hates because he gave them all daughters? Is that what wow. we want to be doing here? <laughs> wow, Patrick. Sometimes I wonder if Patrick is sexist and then I get on the Bible thumper. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, he is. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> 
anyways, so I, and of course my, my oldest daughter is seven. So I'm, I'm a little behind where Patrick's at there. We got started a little later, but, um, she did, she's learned to read and she's actually asked several times in the last year to be baptized. She wants to be baptized. And of course I am a little uneasy about, this is probably, we could have a whole episode just on this topic as far as children and baptism. I'm, I'm a little uneasy about her getting baptized at the age of seven. And, but at the same time, I don't want to, you know, I hate for it to be that by the time that she's 20 or 15 or 18 or wherever it seems is the appropriate age where she's mature and, and whatever that I would have exasperated her by making her wait until, until then. And then she has no interest in God. And she's like, Oh no, I, you know, whatever. So I'm mindful of that, but I told her, I said, well, here's the deal. Before I got baptized, I spent enough time to read the Bible from one end to the other, because I felt like not that anybody told me I needed to, um, but as a child growing up, I would recommend that you read the whole entire Bible first so that you know what you're getting into. If you're going to sign a contract on a house, you don't want to sign that contract before you really know what it is that you're signing your name on. And if being that you're a kid and you got plenty of time, if you, if you die today, Jesus says, let the little children come to me. I don't think that, that he's going to be upset with you that you weren't baptized at the age of seven. So I, you know, I've, um, she's committed her life to God and she's, she prays every night and tells God, you know, if you, you know, keep us safe tonight. And, and if you come, I want to be ready to go to heaven to, you know, to be with you. And her, her walk with God, I think is mature to the level of her maturity level at seven years old, but she's still a silly kid. And I thought, you know, this gives her a goal, something to look forward to. If I really want to get baptized, I'm going to read the Bible front to back. So I've been spending more time with them actually right now. Um, a lot of, and we just had that conversation about a week or 10 days ago now, I guess. And so I, I told her, uh, well, she said, the Bible's too long for me to read the whole thing. And I said, well, maybe so, but let's work, work through it together. You know, you can read some, I'll read some. And we did for a while um, at our church every single morning. We were doing a Bible reading in the mornings, my wife and I, and another couple that was a school teacher. And my daughters were there because it's, our, our church meets in the school building. So every morning before they would go to school, they would sit with us for, you know, half hour or something while we'd read several chapters and Megan would read some then. And since then, it's been more sporadic where, well, every night before they go to bed, if I'm there, I'm not on the Bible thumper. Um, I, whenever I tuck the girls into bed, we'll have prayer time together and story time. So we, we uh, pray together. They each tell a story and oftentimes they'll tell a Bible story or they'll just make up a story on the fly, just, you know, a fairy tale, whatever. Uh, once upon a time, it always starts once upon a time. <laughs> and um, then I'll tell a story and usually my stories, well, not, I wouldn't say every night, but about half the time my stories are Bible stories. And I don't open the Bible up and read it from the Bible most of the time. Most of the time, I just tell them a story that I know by heart. Did I freeze or am I still live? Because you froze. No, you're still going. Okay. Anyway, so uh, that's my kind of gentle approach with the, with the kids. Uh, aside from trying to make an effort to have prayer time with them two or three times throughout the day, when when different issues come up, things that, that come up, um, whether it's meal time or con in conversations, things that happen. Uh, where we'll where we'll take the opportunity to pray together, 
And I oftentimes will try to incorporate Bible verses, at least into my prayer, if not before or after the prayer. So that's um, kind of how I, how I've treated it with our kids. And I've never wanted them to feel like that. I, I want them to, I want to feel like that they are pursuing God, not that God is being shoved down their throat. As a child, I want to give them that space. So it'll be interesting to see how that works as they mature. I don't want them to feel like that I just marginalize it. And I don't take the time to really to really spend that time with them. But um, at the same time, I haven't wanted them to feel like that I was so strict with it that they learned to hate, hate the Bible because I just was always cramming it down their throat. Um, so... I, in order to balance out this one verse that we um, brought up as far as not provoking your children to wrath or not exasperating them as some versions say it, um, I thought I should probably go ahead and bring up another verse that kind of helps offset this. And this is in Proverbs. And we're just going to go ahead and I, well, I'm not sure how many viewers we have on here right now. We have. Well, whenever you go on Ten. a monologue, it drops down to like three or four. Okay. And then they check well, back we're, in a few minutes when I, I, I trust that after I read this verse, we'll lose about half of those viewers as well. <laughs> so let's go to Proverbs 13, and it's going to be verse 24. And this is popular if you are trying to, uh, what is that book, uh, Win Friends and Influence People? Yep. This would be a this would be a good verse to bring up right off the bat with them. The first time you have them over to your house, just read this. So Proverbs 13, it says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him. So here we have a really politically correct, popular verse here about disciplining your children. So obviously, if you don't want to provoke your children to wrath, I think that that you have to discipline them at times in order to not get to the point that you're constantly always having to yell at your kids. Mm -hmm. If your kids learn to respect you, learn that no means no. And if they cross boundaries, that there is consequences. Um, I, we don't spank our children very often, but we do. It's perfectly <clears throat> legal to do that. It's perfectly, um, biblically, I, I don't think it's just acceptable, but it's necessary at times to have discipline in the home. I don't know how you guys do that with your children, but there is, um, I would say with ours, it's we have three of them now and the youngest one's never been disciplined um she doesn't even understand what no means yet she's six months um she's getting really close where sometimes i'm like ah keep screaming like that <laughs> you're gonna learn what no means whether you can say no or not <laughs> um but anyways maybe once a week one of the children will end up in trouble for something where you know that's mm -hmm. just blatant disobedience but I think that it's very necessary to take into consideration the idea that if you get to the point that, and this goes for mothers because mothers spend a lot more time with your children than fathers do. Um, if you're, if, if it's, if you're a stay at home mom and your husband works, mothers should have, have the ability to put your foot down in the home and not have to be constantly yelling at the kids in order to get them to do what you want them to do. And unfortunately I see a lot of people that are living the American dream and they're constantly running around yelling at their kids. They're providing this wonderful home life for them where they have, you know, the jet skis and the boats. We'll just, we'll just go with that as an example, but they got, yeah, the toys. God help they got... You, you have jet skis and you're watching this episode <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> from the guy who lives in the middle of Texas. <laughs> oh man. So anyway, I have, I actually have intentions of getting a jet ski, um, mm -hmm. but there is, there is, 
something to be said for not going all out and you know, having all the toys and all the bells and whistles and living the American dream and then having your home life behind closed doors be constantly nagging at each other, aggravated to kids, angry. Uh, your, your kids grow up thinking of you as this angry mom or angry dad that was constantly yelling at them for this or for that. And so anytime that I find myself in a position where I start feeling the need or seeing my wife feel the need to nag at the kids constantly over something, I'm like, all right, we're doing something wrong here. <laughs> you know, we need to, we need to reset here a little bit. Either we're not being consistent enough with something they don't know the lines or they're pushing the boundaries and there needs to be consequences for them not obeying, but they, they shouldn't be constantly having to be yelled at in order to get them to just function in life. Um, I mean, and this goes for things like getting dressed in the morning and brushing your teeth and making your bed, and, you know, basic things that you should be able to do without having to yell at your kids. <laughs> and so anyways, I don't see very, I, I go to the grocery store and I see a lot of, a lot of kids throwing temper tantrums in the grocery store aisle. And I'm like, well, I'm not sure who needs the first spanking, the mom or the dad or the kid, <laughs> but all of you guys have this whole thing messed up. So anyways, as far as the child rearing thing, I just figured I would say if, if you see that need in your home, fathers shouldn't just always pass that off as, oh, well, my wife is home with the kids. She can handle this kind of stuff. If you come home at night and your house is in disarray, somebody needs to step up and do something about it. And um, it doesn't necessarily mean you just need to pull out the spatula and start spanking the kids. That is a really good side, side profile view right there. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm, hold on. I'm going to grab a book from my top shelf. You just okay. keep talking. <laughs> All right, so we got Patrick's other other side there. Anyways, um, that was uh, just to offset the idea of of not exasperating your children. I think that's part of it is that sometimes we're not willing to discipline our children. Uh, second generation Christians, third generation Christians are really, really bad about this, myself included. It's very easy for us to be very laid back and and lax with our children and not want to be like the overreactive first generation Christians that we grew up with where they were maybe over the top with discipline. So I would say just don't, um, don't, don't uh, hate your children by not disciplining them in, in the hopes of, of loving them and being gentle with them. So Stephen uh, Ballou commented here, he said, I think it's good for a person to be mature enough to make the decision of baptism with full understanding. Also, the scripture says to baptize men and women, not children, just my two cents. All right, so we'll take that as your two cents, keep it as that. But you did mention the Bible, so we'll go ahead and um, take that into consideration. I do think, I, I definitely believe in a believer's baptism. I'm concerned about the idea of baptizing children when they don't really have any idea what they're getting into specifically. Um, so, so sooner or later, someone's going to say, can you stick to the topic? <laughs> well, I'm just gonna, I was reading a comment here. I, no, I mean, it's great. I'm so glad we're on to what age is appropriate to baptize your child, because that's what everyone was expecting when they got on here. <laughs> okay. Anyway, we'll skip that topic. <laughs> okay. So what's your book? Well, it was uh, To Train Up a Child, um, which... Oh, Michael and Debbie Pearl. Yeah, which... Um, that's, that's really that's really politically, socially acceptable nowadays. Yeah, I mean, so I'm just going to put it up here. The I'm going to put the text or the title up here. Okay, To Train Up a heard Child. About, now, there's lots of people that don't like this book. And, and there are even lots of people in Christianity that'll tell you that this book is, 
you know, so it horrible got, and abusive and, you know, uh, and of course they've sold like millions and millions and millions of copies around the world because of how so you heard of, you heard of why a lot of Christians kind of turned against that, didn't you? Because there was, most Christians in America are morons and their families are a train wreck. That's okay, why. Well, there was, there was actually a real moron. Was there a movement? The there was no there was somebody that beat their daughter i think to death and then in court they blamed they held Michael up Demi that Pearl. book yes yeah. well, they said they taught also, them how to do it well there was also a woman that burned her mouth on hot coffee from mcdonald's and got three million dollars awarded to her okay exactly so so they blame they blame one them guy and that bought the book is an idiot i mean then a lot yeah. of a lot of churches were trying to distance themselves from the book. They were like pulling it off the shelf, like, "Oh no, we never, we never had anything." Oh no, nah, yeah. Well, let me tell you, okay. And I and I know they've written other books, and I have not read a single one of them. But I'll tell you what, that book is one of the clearest and most practical books out there as far as what you need to do, okay, to train your child to obey. And here's, here's the problem. So I'm going to try to shift gears here and like do a U-turn and drive 80 miles an hour uh, the other way so we can get back on track here. <clears throat> as far as training up your children, again, fathers, it is your responsibility. What you need to understand, dad, is that as your kids grow up, you are the image of God in their life. You are the number one authority they see all the time. And the way God set it up was that the children would be raised by men who imitate God in the way that they love them and they protect and they provide for them. Uh, the children can go to their father and talk to them just like we can go to God in prayer. And another thing is that they need to learn to obey the authority in their life. And they will transfer that lesson over to God when they grow up. And if they never learn how to obey their parents and they only learn how to be sneaky and conniving and get around whatever rules their parents set up and there's never a penalty or a punishment and consequences for being disobedient and breaking the rules, guess what? They're going to do the same thing when they get older with God. They're also going to transfer that to civil authority and they're going to get in trouble with, uh, with the courts and, uh, and law enforcement. And the idea is that uh, they are raised by you in a godly manner. And then when they are introduced to God at some point through going to church and reading the Bible, it, it makes it's logical. It makes sense. And it's easy to transition that love and respect and that obedience to God. And if you do not train your kids to learn to obey, you are doing them a terrible disservice. This book is the greatest book that I have ever read, and I've read it multiple times. I've bought dozens and dozens of copies of this book and given it away to every Christian family that has a brand new baby. I give them one of these books. And it, now, if, if you're on here and you're like, oh, well, I got a 16-year-old that's not paying attention, I'm going to buy this book. Yeah, it, you're, you're about 17 years too late for reading that book, okay? That's, you're not going to fix it, okay? That's not what this book is for. And I understand that that's where a lot of people are going to be. 
Okay, but if there's anyone on here of college age, you know, a brand new parent or someone who's newly married that might be expecting or going to have kids, buy that book to train up a child as fast as humanly possible and do what it says. I'm telling you, it produces great results. With the exception of the one guy that apparently beat his child to death and blamed it on that book. <laughs> Which is absurd, but like I said, you know, you know our model here, our motto here on Bible Thumper: people are stupid. So before we get back, we've been on the child topic quite a bit. Yeah, we really we got to get back to beating up on dads. I promised that last week, so we got to deliver. And I have a few verses that I want to get onto. So go ahead. Make, yeah. Make well, I was just going to say something that you brought up that I think is the is so underestimated in the in the importance of being successful in pretty much any area of our life as a christian whether it's in church in your marriage or in your home is don't try to hope for success by by hoping that your children turn out to be the person that you wish you were be the person obey god chase god and have them see you like patrick said you're they're going to see you modeling god and they're going to follow that and it's that is the most effective way rather than trying to cram something down their throat and force them to live your ideals out that you can't even live out yourself instead by us choosing to, to follow god however imperfect that we are if our children really see that in us one of the some of the most powerful conversations that i've had with my children were when they've seen when i've known that they've seen me mess up and i'm honest about that with them and and I, I've seen that that really gets their attention when they see me modeling Christianity, modeling a brokenness and that that is more meaningful to them than me constantly trying to cram perfection down their throat. So anyways, on to beating up dads now. Okay. Go ahead. You got the mic. So, okay. So turn with me to the book of Genesis and <clears throat> let's go to, let's go to Genesis. Uh, hold on. I'm seeing if I can. Hmm. Here we go. Okay, go to Genesis chapter 2 and go to verse 15. And I'm going to try to get something up here on the. Okay, here we go. Uh, let's see if we can do it. Boom. There you go. So that's the book if you want to take a look at it. <clears throat> and you will find plenty of people that'll say that it's horrible and it's child abuse. And I would say, take a look at their children. Okay. Because honestly, the reason that I ended up with that book and taking it so seriously is because I ended up asking like two or three families that had just the most wonderful kids, obedient and sweet and respectful and um, engaging in conversation, even at a very young age. And I went to all these parents when I was not even married. And I was like, man, how do you get your kids there to to behave like this. They're so wonderful and they're kind and they're sweet and they're intelligent and they, you know, uh, they're just wonderful. What do you do? And all, every single set of parents told me, uh, there's a couple of books that are great. Start with this one. And I was like, all right, I'm sold. You know, that was, that was really all I needed. Okay. So <clears throat> in Genesis chapter two in verse 15, this is when God is talking to Adam and this is prior to Eve being in the picture. 
Now, I want you to notice that God gives Adam two things prior to him giving Adam a wife. So we read, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Okay, so what did God give Adam in verse 15, Caleb? Work. Yeah, he gave him a job. Okay, so guess what you're supposed to have before you marry a woman and bring her into your life. You're supposed to have a job. Now, that's easy to skim over because it's just one verse and you're like, oh, God's just telling the story. No, he's not. Okay, he's explaining that you need to understand what your work is to be. God, God gave Adam his life's work prior to Adam getting married. And I'll say it a million times, it is not fair to ask a woman to follow you and support you if you don't know where you're going. Because if you don't know where you're going, then any train will get you there. And it is not fair to ask a woman to get on board and follow you and support you when you yourself have no idea what you're doing. Okay, so God gave Adam his life's work, which was to send to the garden. Sixteen, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Okay, so what did God give Adam in those two verses, 16 and 17? And this is funny, because this was all that was written as far as the law of the Lord. Now, obviously, we didn't have the Pentateuch. We didn't have the five books of Moses, so to speak. We didn't have the, you know, the law and the prophets. At this time, there was one rule, and Adam just received it. So Adam knew in its entirety God's entire law word. God knew the law of the Lord in its entirety, how to obey it, and what the penalty was going to be if he did not obey it. So now Adam is equipped to get married. And what you find in the very next verse is, and the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. So <clears throat> three things, and they are in order for a reason. He got his life's work. He got a job. He knew what his mission was, what he was supposed to be doing. He knew God's law, how to obey it. So now he can teach it to his wife because God gave the law to Adam, not to Eve. It was Adam's responsibility to give it to Eve. And then number three, after he had his job and after he knew the word of God, then God said, okay, you are ready to get married. As a matter of fact, it's not good that you're alone. Okay. Which means marriage is a good thing. And we've talked about that in previous episodes. So we don't have to make this a thing on marriage. But what I'm saying is it is not fair for men <clears throat> to ask a woman to follow them in marriage and to have a family if they have no idea what they are doing uh, for their life's work and if they have no idea what the law of the Lord says. So I believe those are prerequisites for marriage. So some might think that is a stretch. I think that is a minimum of what you should have um, settled in your life prior to asking a young lady to get on board and follow you. What do you think of that, Caleb? I think it's, I think it's really good. I, I, one, one thing that I've wondered if at times, if this go topic gets 
kind of skimmed over in church and it's kind of a little bit, we're a little light on the whole work issue because a lot of the pastors are being supported by their churches and they don't necessarily work. Um, I've, I found my, I find myself having, having um, a lot more respect for somebody that I see that I, that I know has a good work ethic and they're a hard worker and they're willing to, to get in there shoulder to shoulder with somebody that, you know, I think somebody should be willing to provide for their home financially you know, even if they're in ministry, um, and be, and be willing to make that sacrifice, even if, I mean, there's some people that might, they're investing in stocks and that's how they make their money or whatever, but they, they should still be willing to work hard. Um, and, and your children should see you modeling that fathers, husbands need to realize that this is God's commandment. It's part of the curse, but it is, it was one of his first commands was for us to work. And Patrick and I were having a conversation about this earlier that there's kind of this um, guilt almost because we're, we have it so easy in America and almost this idea of we're so blessed and we can almost deal with this guilt of how is it that other people have it so hard and we have it so easy. We do have it pretty easy here. And to then expect on top of the easy life that we live that we shouldn't be willing to work hard. I mean, I think if somebody gets to the point financially that they can be in ministry and not have to be holding down a nine to five job, they should still be working hard and devoted to, to, um, you know, whether it's charity work or whatever it is that you're somehow that your children grow up seeing a dad that works hard, breaks a sweat, works hard. And that isn't, you know, uh, there's a verse that I was trying to pull up. Oh, go I ahead. would say that isn't just, I mean, the prerequisite to, to getting married shouldn't just be, oh, I, I got a job last week, so now I'm ready to get married. But uh, fathers <laughs> should be teaching their, their sons how to work. And, and it, there is something mm-hmm. to learning how, learning how to be willing to work and, and having a work ethic. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Um, now, Caleb has three daughters. I have one. But I can tell you, um, I'm sure Caleb has had the same thought as I have, as I have had, which is as far as all the things that I'm hoping for that my daughter has in a husband, uh, one of the top five is a hard work ethic. Okay, now I want them to love God. I want them to be sweet and kind. I want them to love and want to take care of my little girl. Okay, but. I want them to have a hard work ethic because uh, guys that know how to work, uh, uh, they they are survivors. Okay, they will make it no matter what else is going on in the world. They will make it. Um, one of my favorite sayings is, uh, you know, I've never heard of a guy drowning in sweat. You know, <laughs> it's never killed anybody. Uh, so any guy that knows how to do that, you know, that's a big deal. Boy, my computer is lagging. Okay, here we go. So in 1 Timothy 5.8, we read a verse that's along those lines. It says, but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So, you know, let me just tell you, those are not easy words. Paul goes so far in another one, and I'm not going to try to get the internet up and and search for it just because my computer's acting so goofy and slow. He says, if a man doesn't work, what does he not get to do, Caleb? Eat. He doesn't get to eat. 
Okay, and I'll, I'll pull that one up here for you in a second. But that's another one of strong language. Okay, so fellas, it's your job. Okay, do your job. Provide for your wife, provide for your kids. Guess what? Providing for your wife and your kids doesn't make you a great dad. Okay, that's your job. <laughs> that's, like, that's the minimum. Okay, that's not, that doesn't mean you're special. Okay, that means you have achieved the minimum requirements for being a father. Okay, I think a lot of it has to do with love and nurture and leading them toward uh, toward Christ and toward the Word of God. I think that is where uh, you will uh, become an excellent father: is training your children to mimic Christ. Uh, that is our goal. Uh, all the rest of the stuff. I mean, this is just th these are basics. I mean, if you do not provide for your family, if you do not, you know, uh, work hard enough. Uh, you're called a deadbeat. Okay. That's what it is. And I have no problem telling anyone, go get a second job. You know, oh, you're tired. I don't care. Get a second job. You need to be able to provide for your wife and your kids. Lots of us work lots of overtime. Do not get to see our, our families as much as we want because of the work. Lots of us have had to get a second job at times because things are tight. And it is our job to provide. And, and God is very serious about that. One thing that we have to remember as husbands, more than anything, whose little girl did you marry, Caleb? Somebody else's. <laughs> sure. Somebody else's. Specifically, whose little girl did you marry? My father-in-law. I don't know. <laughs> Your father-in-law. Okay. But there's one other that you could say. You married someone else's little girl. That's God's. Oh, right. She is God's daughter. And that's something that we all have to remember is that we are taking care of God's little girl. Now, granted, uh, you know, my father-in-law is also, you know, he's the one that gave her away. Uh, but the fact is, that's God's little girl that I need to take care of, that I need to love, that I need to protect, you know, and I need to treat her as though. Um, you know, God gave her away to me. You know, I don't think that's too much of a stretch. Okay, man, um, we have about 10 minutes left. So now would be the time for you to do your closing monologue. And then I can say goodnight and we can move on to, <laughs> to other things. Did you have any other verses that, you know, can really stick it to husbands and fathers before we go. I, I, I want to just start out by apologizing to all the ladies because I promised, you know, some heavy metal thunder raining down on the husbands and fathers. And I don't feel like we delivered. We gave them a little bit. But um, the, the good news is we got about 30 minutes of of what age is appropriate to baptize your children. So I'm glad we got that out of the way. <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to have an episode on that. Something at some point. This is an interesting topic. It's something I'm I'm kind of up in the air about right now. It's kind of weird to be at this point in my life with a daughter that's asking to be baptized. I'm like, uh. Mm -hmm. anyways. Um. So, well, there's a couple of verses here. They're not going to be super hard on um, fathers. I obviously there is kind of the negative aspect of if you don't work, you shouldn't eat um, or be treated uh, as an infidel. But as far as here's a couple of verses that I've been sticking with um, this year. I find myself working a, a lot more in ministry than I have in, in previous years. And it's my work outside of ministry is usually in air conditioning and a lot, 
um, a lot more pleasant than my work in ministry is. I tend to spend a lot more time working pretty hard physically. Um, and so I've, I've um, had several people be, say things to me like, well, you guys are going to burn out. Um, aren't you going to, you know, I don't want you guys to get worn out with this. Are you getting tired of this? And so this has kind of been my, my go-to verse this year. And it's, it's really encouraging to me because there, it really applies to a lot, of, a lot of areas of life. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10 says, Whatever thy hand findeth to do it, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. So basically, it's, uh, it's either work hard and whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. You're blessed to be alive. It's either that or you're going to be in the grave with nothing, no knowledge, no wisdom, nothing. And then the other one is, um, let us not be, it's, this is Galatians 6, 9. Uh, let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So um, I guess as long as you're not fainting, as long as you, as long as you can keep going, uh, not to grow weary and well-doing. And I know there's times as as husbands or as fathers that we get to that point where it's just like, like Patrick said, it's eight o'clock at night and I'm sitting on the couch and I just kind of want to zone out. And it is good to have some time for recreation and to re, uh, rejuvenate yourself. But to realize, for me, I look at it, I'm like, in ministry, it's not an option for me. And my family really should be my first ministry. My children, my wife, uh, my home. I, I don't want, I would never want them to to suffer for the fact that I'm in ministry and I devote, you know, quite a few hours every week to, to serving others and helping others. Um, and so it's not an option. I, it's a commandment. Somebody asked me the other day, we're afraid you're going to, we're afraid you're going to burn out or that you're going to get tired of this. And I said, no, I'm not, not because I won't maybe want to at some point, but it, the Bible says not to, so I'm not going to, I'm not, I've, I've already decided I'm not going to get tired of doing this. I'm not going to grow weary in it. And I think that sometimes when people, when people grow weary in doing something, whether it's a father or whatever, whatever you're growing tired of doing, um, it's, it's, it's not that you're not physically capable of continuing. It's just that you just sit down and give up. And a lot of, I see a lot of fathers and a lot of, a lot of parents that really have zoned out, whether it's on their marriage or their, their home life, they might function well in the, in the church or in their job. But when you get home, you kind of zone out. And I'm very guilty of that. And I find myself sometimes failing my family and, and hurting them in the, in the home where I'm like, you know, I, I see my wife walk out the door with a bag of trash and I'm sitting there on the couch. And I'm like, wait, I should have been taking the trash. out. <laughs> um, and those are things that, that we, that I think that we need to keep in mind as fathers, that it is our duty to work hard. It is our duty to provide for our families. It is our duty to lay down our, our lives for our wives and to raise our children in the word. And these are things that we shouldn't, you know, if we're setting our hand to it, we need to do it with all our might and not grow weary in well-doing. So those are a couple of verses, maybe more on the encouraging side, as far as whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, and then don't, go, don't get tired of it and don't give up. Those have been an inspiration to me. So, All right. Well, <clears throat> I, uh, man, I didn't really prepare any closing remarks. I will tell you this. Um, being a husband and being a father were two of the greatest things that ever happened to me, you know, next to <clears throat> uh, salvation and getting to know the Lord, uh, getting married and having the family that I have were the greatest decisions of my life. And uh, certainly things, you know, I not only don't, not there are things that I not only do not regret, uh, but I am just so grateful for. And one thing that I would, 
encourage every man out there to do is uh, have two hobbies in your life. <clears throat> um, whatever else you have to give up, it's worth it. Uh, make your study of the word of God your hobby. Something that you do in your time off because you love it, you enjoy it, um, make it something that you have determined you are going to get good at and study the word of God. And then the second thing I would say is make your family your other hobby. Uh, spending time with your wife and your kids, pouring your life into them, uh, raising them to turn out to be uh, the men and the women of God that he wants them to be that you would be proud to have. And when you see faults and failures, uh, discuss it with your spouse and make a plan to help your kids overcome these things. Uh, do not just shrug your shoulders and hope they grow out of it. Uh, what that is, <clears throat> you, are, you are hoping that they will turn out to be great people by default, and it does not happen. So uh, put in the time and the energy. Now, now, when I say study the Word of God and make your wife and your kids your hobby, the reason I say hobby is because most men spend more money on their hobbies than they want their wife to know about. So if your hobby is shooting guns or playing golf or fishing, the odds are you have spent money on that hobby in excess of what you would feel comfortable with your wife knowing about because she would probably give you a hard time about it because it's been irresponsible to spend that much money on fishing gear or golf clubs or what have you. And that's why I say make the word of God and make your wife and your children your hobby. So you will spend more time and more money and more energy on <clears throat> those two things than you would on anything else in your life. And if you do that, even for a little while, uh, you will have a satisfaction and a fulfillment and a joy <clears throat> that you never knew was possible. And honestly, uh, you won't care about your, uh, what was it, jet skis? You won't care about the video games. You won't care about, you know, going hunting. You won't care about any of these things uh, unless you can honestly say, you know, uh, this is a, an activity where, I get to spend time with my kids. They love it. I love it. Um, you know, we get to spend a lot of time together. We get to grow uh, as people and as Christians with one another. You know, make, make them your hobby. And whatever direction that takes you, so long as you feel that God's behind it, uh, you will not turn around 10 years from now and regret making that decision. You will turn around 10 years from now and say that was the greatest decision I've ever made in my life. Because uh, at, at the end of the day, when you're on your deathbed, there's only two things that you're going to wish you did more of. And that is going to be serve God and spend time with your family. That's it. Okay. I have been on a lot of deathbeds and I have never once heard someone say, I wish I put a few more hours in at the office or I wish I got in another round of golf. Not one time have I heard that. Uh, and, and, and these are from, you know, people uh, in, in all walks of life. They only wish they... Um, spent more time with God and they spent more time with their family. That's all I've got. Um, yeah. I'm ready I, to call it a night and, and get to the couch and eat some ice cream. Yeah, sounds good. I, I would say it should be fun. Your your time with your wife and your family should, you should have fun. With it. it should be something you enjoy. Oh, yeah. If you don't, 
then your heart's probably in the wrong spot. You're you doing it wrong. <laughs> so my wife and I, the other day, we got in the car and uh, it was probably the most fun we'd had on a date in quite a while. Um, she was, we were, uh, it started all off. We were in the car with my sister and uh, I can't remember. I guess I started annoying her just being ornery. And then she started annoying me. We're going back and forth and, and so I was like, all right, it's time to go for uh, a ride. So we dropped my sister off and then we went and got some ice cream and um, she played her annoying music in the car on the way there. And we found ourselves just laughing and having a good time. And sometimes I think as Christians, it's good for us to lighten up and just have fun and, and be, be able to enjoy each other. And, and sometimes just like I said early on, sometimes just being present in your, you know, with your wife, spending time going on dates, um, doing useless things with your kids that really don't mean anything to you. It's those times that you, that gives you the opportunity to actually, you know, minister and have meaningful, meaningful time. So, so take your wife on a date and go play ball with your kids. I guess that's, that's, that's what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. Well put. All right, everybody. Shabbat Shalom. Enjoy your weekend. We'll see you one week from today where we discuss uh, obeying the government. How does the Christian do that? And uh, we'll take a break halfway through that episode to talk for another 30 minutes about the proper age to baptize your children. So we'll tie that up uh, just in the middle of it. And that'll be a blessing for all of us. And uh, so I can't wait to see you then. So good night, everybody. Good night. Oh, man. Uh, okay, it's counting out. I'm not sure if we're off or not yet. <clears throat> So um, what's the, uh, tell me, what's the hang up with uh, um, not wanting to baptize your daughter yet? Well, I'm kind of a proponent of seeing them hit puberty first, but um, I And that's not, fine. Just I'm tell not, me, tell me why. What are you thinking? You know? Well, the idea of a believer's baptism when they, it's, it's one thing to have a kid. I, I've, I've been at so many rebaptisms where the kids actually had a decent idea it looks like looks like maybe we're still online i'm not sure That's fine. somebody says says somebody says you're not offline oh i don't um, doubt it i mean i hit stop but there's I, it's just doing that like hourglass thing it's not like i can press another button we just gotta I wait see. and see what happens yeah so I guess, it'll come up anyways i've just seen i've seen enough children that were baptized later on in their life after they had for a second um, time for a second time, yeah. After yeah. they had been baptized early on as a seven-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 12-year-old, and then later on, they're like, I really had no idea what I was getting into. I, I really don't think that I um, really understood the gospel at that point. And so now sure. I'm, you know, I really want to, I've, I've committed my life to God and I don't really think that I was saved first time kind of a thing. So okay, I, now, I always think that follow parents... Follow-up question. Oh, yeah. Follow-up question. What is the harm in that? So the idea is, so devil's advocate, I'm going to play the other side, okay? Your, your daughter wants to take a step for God, whatever her level of understanding is, she thinks that it's a good thing. What, what is the harm in making sure she understands the gospel so you and her both believe she's saved? She and explains uh, baptism and what it represents so she and you both feel she understands what it is. She gets baptized. Two years later, she cannot answer any questions about either of those very well and doesn't really understand it and then wants to do it again. So what is what's the harm in that? 
I, I have no problem with with children getting baptized and getting rebaptized. In fact, mm-hmm. I I think that sometimes as Christians we maybe we've taken it over the over the edge a little bit, so where there's so much pressure on the one time you get baptized one time, and and in mm-hmm. the Jewish tradition they were they got baptized once a year. I mean it was this mm-hmm. cleansing ritual kind of a thing. And I know people that have been baptized and they went over to Israel and they dunked themselves in the Jordan River and got baptized, you know, years later. They were born Mm -hmm. again Christian for years and they chose to do it. It's a little strange, but I don't have I don't really have a problem with it. So I I don't know. I've I actually need to get seek some counsel on this from other other people as well, other parents. Um, I I guess I'll say for me, I had wanted to be baptized earlier on in my life. And I am really, really glad that I didn't. I waited until, and my dad actually said no, and I wasn't, I wasn't too thrilled with that. Um, I don't know if I would have gotten rebaptized later, but I really did not understand the gospel until quite a bit later in my life. Um, I was baptized when I was 18 rather than when I was like nine, the first time that I asked to be baptized. And at that point, I understood repentance and I understood it in, and I don't know if other people, maybe nobody else has this confused messed up theology like I did as a kid, but I understood repentance to be, um, I want to get baptized because I want to, uh, you know, I've, I realized that I messed up here in this one area of my life. I want to make sure that I repent of this sin that I did and that sin. And I think, and I remember praying and asking God, you know, to help me remember any other bad things that I'd done. Cause I wanted to, you know, him for, to forgive me of those things as well, but it wasn't, at that point in my life, I hadn't, it never really clicked with me that I needed to trust Jesus to take care mm-hmm. of the sin issue in my life on a bigger level. It wasn't just that I messed up. I was a pretty good person. I was completely, it would have been for me at that time, it would have been completely a works-based thing of me to, depending on my own understanding to make sure that I remembered everything that I'd ever done because I thought I was a, a good person except for this and that. And there was that one time that I broke a pocket knife, but I didn't tell my dad and I lied about it. I hid it and I, you know, I got to come clean with that. And there was, you know, I came clean with these different things, but it wasn't until way later on that I really understood the gospel in a way that I really felt like, okay, I'm saved through the blood of Jesus because I trust him that he's good enough, even though I'm not. And that wasn't until, until I was 17 or 18. So anyways, that's, that's where I, I always think that sometimes that we can get out get out ahead of our kids really uh, being nurtured in the word of God and understanding his word and then putting a lot of pressure on them to get saved, get baptized now. And I never wanted to be that parent. And here I am, my seven-year-old daughter coming to me saying, Hey dad, you know, we went to, we've been to a couple of baptisms. She's seen other people get baptized and she wants to get baptized. And I think that's, I mean, the first time she asked, we were literally at a baptism and that was, she's sure. like, Hey, can I go get baptized too? And I'm like, uh, yeah, no, not right now. Yeah, let, let, yeah. Let's talk about it when we get home. So you have some understanding and I, <clears throat> I totally appreciate that. Let, let me ask you a follow-up question. So <clears throat> you, you explained how you more perfectly understand, understood salvation and baptism and more of the parts of salvation. Okay. So now, now let me paint a picture for you and just give me a little latitude. And then I have a question at the end. So in order to get saved, I always explain that there's basically four basic things you need to understand. Okay, you're a sinner, you know, uh, there's a penalty for sin, you know, the wages of sin is death, we understand about hell. Um, Jesus made a way for you to not have to go to hell, but to go to heaven. Okay, that was dying on the cross, paying for your sins. And then number four, you have to have a time when you receive that gift. Romans 10, 13, I'm a big fan of that verse. 
for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, so there has to be a time when you and God have an interaction of some kind where you call on him to save you, you believe that Jesus is God and receive the free gift. Okay, so that's kind of what I, what I like as the, the, the most basic for salvation. Okay, so now, <clears throat> later on, I learned that it was specifically the blood that washed away my sins. And then later on, I learned that Jesus on the cross <clears throat> was the Passover lamb that foreshadowed, you know, what was going to happen. And it was a death of the innocent, okay, that took the place of, you know, me and the penalty that I deserve to burn in hell forever. And then, <clears throat> you know, later on after that, I understood the idea of how, um, uh, you know, how Jesus represented Abraham and Isaac, God the Father, God the Son, uh, giving, uh, <clears throat> uh, giving his only son uh, and being willing to do that, you know, um, I learned after that, <clears throat> you know, more about how, you know, um, Roman law and how uh, penalties had to be paid in full. And that was stamped on the certificate when they got out of jail. And that was the phrase Jesus said when he was on the cross, he said to Telestai, it is finished. Okay. Which meant paid in full in, in the Greek. And I understood how, you know, Jesus, uh, he did all of the work and there was nothing I could do. And it was only him, you know, and, and I learned more about it, you know, the, the idea of eternal security and, you know, uh, the substitutionary death uh, on the cross. So as I went on, I learned more and more and more and more and more and more as far as details about salvation and, and how it all works together. But my question is this. Could it be that your daughter, who is seven, you said, mm -hmm. your oldest, could she understand enough? where she wants to be saved, has gone through that, wants to be baptized, and can understand the basics of what baptism is. Okay, and, and let, me, let me pause here. I only have a pen. I wanted to go get a spoon uh, to do this properly. <laughs> okay, so we have the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, and then baptism is the same thing as far as it, what it represents. Um isn't that enough, even though you and I would agree that 10 years from now, when she's 17, you and her could have a really in-depth, intelligent conversation about salvation and baptism and all the details and all the extras that she learned over the last 10 years. I guess my question is, does that mean that she didn't get saved and baptism wasn't appropriate at that time just because she learned it more perfectly later? And is that a reason to hold off or she wants to make a step towards God? Let's encourage this. And knowing full well that, you know, I've baptized five of my six kids and I imagine that I will baptize at least one or two of them again. What? So tell me no, your thoughts. You sound, I know. I yeah. Out. It sounds like you're in my head for the last like couple of months. I've been mulling some of this about in my head. Um, <laughs> It was, I guess it was actually the first of the year, right around the first of the year that Megan first asked to be baptized. And so mm -hmm. now we're eight months into the year. 
So um, actually, it's been it's been more than more than a couple of months. Um, and I would I I would agree with that 100. I mean, I think I think that uh, somebody could be five or six years old, or you know, as long as they're old enough to actually understand, they can make a commitment to God. And I'm not going to put down somebody's baptism at that point or say that it's that it's not wise. I just know that there is, um, and I'm actually not even against infant baptism. If somebody wants to baptize their their kid as an infant, I think it's meaningless. But if you want to play safe and make sure you cover all your bases, just make sure that they actually have a believer's baptism as well. And if they find out later that hey, that really wasn't a believer's baptism, I've heard from a lot of kids that they said. Um, Okay, so I have no idea if we're still online or not. So if your kids are watching, if, if we are still online and your kids are watching this, um, maybe you should have them get off eventually here. It says um, that we're still live. That's weird. Yep, okay, we so are. anyways. Yeah, we've been going the whole time. My reason for my reason for thinking that they should wait, or for being glad that I waited until after I hit puberty, is that there's a lot that you don't know about yourself that you're giving up in that commitment to God that as a child... A lot of children have a have a tendency to they they can be pure and innocent and um, they're very much go along with anything. I mean, you could I could probably walk a Muslim's kid through a sinner's prayer and baptize them if I had mm-hmm. you know a little bit of time with them. Mm-hmm. Um, whether they really want to be a Christian or not, kids are very much into uh, they're very easily influenced. And the peer pressure thing is very much a big thing. So that's why when my daughter's standing there watching somebody else get baptized, and she's like, I want to get baptized too. Well, if they were going swimming, she would want to get in the swimming pool with them too. Sure. So you, you have to take that into consideration. How much is this really their personal commitment to Jesus? Or how much is it a peer pressure thing where they're wanting to do this? Also, um, I there's very few early childhood memories that I have that are very vivid and clear from the age of... I mean, there's things that I remember when I was four years old, six years old, seven years old, but there's a lot of details that just completely skip over. It's like, man, that was like a whole nother lifetime. You know, your childhood, you don't really remember a lot of it. Whereas once you're a little bit more mature, um, not that you still have plenty of days that go under, you know, water under the bridge. You don't even remember what happened that day. Um, but I'm glad that I can look back and, and remember the maturity of what was going on in my head as the time that I got baptized, the theological understanding that I had, the um, understanding of the promise of the Holy Spirit, some of my prayers that I had with God during that time, um, seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit, um, seeking, you know, to me, it was, there was, I feel like I was a lot more mature then than the first time that I was like, oh, hey, it would be cool to get baptized. And it kind of popped into my head. So I don't know. I, I like to see children at least having the maturity to, to consistently see God follow him and, and feel like that they're pursuing him on their own, not just that they're pressured into this because this Sunday we're having a baptism at church and somebody else is getting baptized. So why don't I get baptized at the same time? That's, I guess, some of my concern concerns with it. And then the idea of um, the whole rebaptism thing, some of those kids, a lot of them that I've heard that were rebaptized later, we're probably in a situation where their parents were as excited or more excited about getting their kids baptized at the time that they got baptized the first time than the kids were. So I don't want it to be that I'm just like so excited. Oh, Hey, I got a, a, a kid that, you know, wants to be a Christian and let's do this. Let's kind of jump all over this. Um, no different than I would if they wanted to become transgender or something else. You gotta, you have to understand kids are very easily influenced. And a lot of kids that will at the age of 
eight or 10 years old before they deal with some of the temptations that they do in their rebellious teenage years, um, dealing with puberty and sexual things that they don't, they have no idea that they're, I mean, my daughter has no idea that she's ever going to struggle with boy problems later on in her life. She doesn't even know what sex is. Mm-hmm. And so to, um, to take her pure, innocent mind right now and assume that she's going to want to be a Christian and then have her, have it be that here in five years from now that she's completely, her life's a train wreck, but she's like, well, I think I, you know, I made it, I think I made a commitment. My dad told me I made a commitment to God back in the day and I got baptized. I think my parents told me I got baptized. I can't really remember it. I don't know what I was doing, but then, then do they not have anything to look forward to as, you know, my life's a train wreck. I'm 18 years old. Do I want to make things right with God? Do I want to, that's to me, I guess that's kind of what I went through as, as a child. I grew up in a Christian home. I could have got baptized sooner. I'm glad that I waited till I saw my life as a train wreck, saw that I was a sinner, saw that it wasn't just that I, you know, disobeyed my mom one time or that I disobeyed my dad one time. I saw that I had lust problems. I saw that pretty much every sin issue in the Bible that I had struggled with, um, clear down to sexual immorality, pornography, things like that, that I, that I hadn't experienced at an earlier age. So anyways, I don't know. That's, that's some of the things that I'm taking into consideration with it, the pros and the cons. And that's what the, some of the Protestant churches dealing with at the time of the reformation, as far as a believer's baptism compared to infant baptism. And so I don't want to take that to the extreme that I'm like, well, you have to be a mature, you know, sanctified, glorified, you know, on your deathbed Christian that's got it all together. Um, so where, where do you draw that line? I don't know. I have no problem with the fact that you baptize a bunch of your kids at, you know, how old is your oldest? 12, 13. 13. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I have no problem with that. And hopefully if they do get to the point that they realize that they were immature, they, they'll be willing to be rebaptized. I just know a lot of people that don't, they, they're so uncomfortable with the rebaptism thing that they wouldn't ever do that again, but they they struggle with, am I really saved? At, you know, mm-hmm. did I really make things right with God? Cause I was immature. And so it's just kind of a complicated <clears throat> So <clears throat> I, I'm not going to say this much, but um, is there a chance you're overthinking? Oh, I'm sure. Because <laughs> you seem to have gone to battle in your own head over this pretty seriously, which is great. You know, I I guess, uh, yeah, that that's that's what I hear is maybe you're overthinking it. Maybe take a breath, take a beat, you know, relax a little bit and, and just uh, stop thinking about it and maybe just talk to your daughter about it a little bit. Um, You know, see how she feels about it and see if she knows what it is. And at least it'll be a great opportunity to, you know, have a little Bible study with her about, you know, salvation and baptism. I can tell you that um, for me, I kind of don't really bring up salvation with my kids until they start bringing it up to me. So they hear it in our Bible study at home, they hear it at church, or they get to an age where they start talking to my wife and I about death and they're concerned about it. And dying is something that's scary to them. And that has always presented an open door for me at whatever age that is. I'm like, well, if they're old enough to be scared about dying, they obviously are thinking about it. That means they must be old enough to consider 
you know, the idea of um, having the peace of salvation, uh, which would, you know, obviously uh, contradict, um, you know, the fear of death. So that's usually when I've brought it up to them. I can also tell you this, that I had two of my kids that I led to the Lord. And then when it was time for them to get baptized, I went over salvation again with them and asked them about it. My oldest um, had been saved and baptized. So it was the next four. And the two older ones told me that they were concerned that they weren't saved and they wanted to go over it again. And we went through the Bible and we all got on our knees and they prayed and we, you know, um, you know, kind of went through the process, so to speak. Uh, and they were relieved because they had thought about it a lot since they first, you know, received the gospel and, and, and decided they wanted to get saved and believed in Jesus. Um, so they actually went through and did that. And then the next younger two, um, I checked them out as far as salvation. The youngest one, which was my daughter, um, she was the one that was talking to us about being scared of dying. And then my next oldest one, Joseph, um, I um, approached uh, salvation with him, you know, maybe only in the last six months or a year. And he, um, you know, he felt good about it. But anyway, it, it was a thing where we kind of had the full spectrum of, you know, dealing with those different things. And we'll see how it plays out. I, I, for the life of me, cannot imagine that taking a step toward God and trying to do so. My kids, I, I, think of this, okay? Your, your daughter just came to you and said, Dad, I want to be obedient to God. I mean, that's right. what she said. Now, how much does she understand? I don't care. You know, for me, it's like my kid comes to me and says, Dad, I want to be obedient to God. All they're getting from me is a high five. Great. Because I'm probably not going to get that from them their whole life. So for me, you know, it's like, that's awesome. I'm so, oh, sweetie, you know, you know, good for you. And then obviously, like we talked about, have the conversation, make sure they understand it. Do you have a spoon picked out? Have you, you know, gone shopping for <laughs> a spoon that you can use to explain to them? I think, know, I think that, you know, yeah, I trust that my daughter has a pretty sound resurrection. I think she has a pretty sound understanding of, even without the spoon visual, she has a pretty uh, sound understanding of, of what baptism is. And that's, and that's why she, that's honestly why she wants to do it. And of course she listens. Um, the other day we were in the car and she was listening to me having a conversation on the phone with a young Christian that I was talking to him about baptism and he's considering baptism. And we were talking through some of the stuff and I got off the phone with him and Megan's like, dad, I, I want to get baptized. Why can't mm -hmm. I get baptized? I said, you can, but let's, mm -hmm. let's, let's start out by, let's go, go through the Bible together. I want you to, I want you to, you know, even if she didn't make it all the way through the whole thing, I want, I want to see sure. how committed that she is to being a self-starter with, with her faith and how much is mm -hmm. it that she's like, Oh, well, we're on the topic. I like to get baptized too. Kind of a thing. Sure. So to see, how, you know, her commitment and see her, her pursuing God and, and her reading his word. I mean, for me, I, f I found myself, I had read through the New Testament a few times and I'd read through most of the books of the Old Testament, but it, I had not read the entire Bible front to back. And I said, before I get baptized, I want to spend time reading. And I spent um, 
quite a several weeks fasting ahead of my baptism. And I, I didn't take it. I took it pretty seriously. I mean, I looked at it as this is a lifelong commitment I made to God. I want to make sure that, that this is, that I'm not um, just doing this flippantly or that it doesn't mean anything to me. And of course, now I'm the same guy that still says, well, I think, you know, you look at the Philip and the eunuch and he's like, well, you believe here's water. What keeps us from, you know, getting baptized. And so I think it should be simple and I don't want to complicate it with my daughter. Now, I'm not going to sit her down and say, you need to read this church doctrine book or you need to read this theology book or you have to agree with me on this or on that. But for her to understand who God is, what his word is, some of what people have been through with him, I think is good. Anyway, go ahead. Okay, so let me add, let me let me bring up something that you and I have talked about before, and this is a point that you've made to me. And tell me if I, I misunderstood this, but I think and, and and consider this. I think you might be confusing a doctrine that you hold to, which is believers' baptism is something different than making Jesus the Lord of your life. Right. Right. Because salvation is a one-time irreversible event. Baptism is something that we are supposed to do after we get saved. Believer's baptism. Okay, I understand the idea of getting baptized again afterward. I understand, like you mentioned earlier tonight, that that was something that the Jews did. It wasn't just a one-time thing. And that was a baptism of repentance, much like Yom Kippur, the one holy day where we would go and and um, settle all of our debts and make right any wrongs that we had and clean the slate with everybody and with God. Okay, and I understand I understand that, but it sounds like you are merging believers' baptism with making a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, which I would imagine. I I, I don't want to speak for you, but I have done several times since I've been saved. That was something that I did. I got serious over the years for whatever reason. I slowed down. I started to to slide away. I wasn't as serious with God. God got my attention again. I I, I once again committed my life to Christ and and decided to make him Lord of my life and wanted to do his will and and follow him and be serious. And I, I was back on the horse and going in the right direction. And, and that has happened to me several times since I've been saved. And, and that's all I'm saying is maybe think about it that way. Are you pushing the two together as opposed to she has gotten saved. She just wants to follow the Lord and believers baptism. Good for you, sweetie. You just need to understand, you know, what this is and what it represents. And that's when I would present her with her spoon. I mean, that would be the time that I would give her the little box, you know, wrapped in a very nice wrapping paper with a ribbon on it and engraved spoon of whatever precious metal you decide, you know, and you can give her the explanation about baptism. And then, you know, at times through her life, I would imagine she is going to uh, decide to make Jesus Lord of her life. Is that right? Does that make sense? No, or I, am I, I definitely understand. I mean, I don't, I don't completely disconnect, um, baptism from conversion i think that it's an important part of conversion even though i think that it's not necessarily um, you don't get saved by your baptism but exactly but it is like the first of course you know and i like the i like what you explained a second ago it was probably the closest that we've ever come to completely agreeing on this whole eternal security doctrine that we disagree on with the spoon was it was it no it was about i gotta hold on here look i know it's not the same this is a plastic knife 
And for those of you that have no idea what we're talking about, go back and watch the podcast on baptism. There is a running joke with a spoon that we are going to drive into the ground for the next 20 years of our friendship. <laughs> okay, go ahead. No, Sorry. anyways, um, your, your ability to recommit your life to God, even, even with your firm belief in eternal security in that once you're saved that you're that's completely secure and, and it, that would never change and of course i don't hold the same viewpoint partly just from the liability perspective not wanting to poison the gospel by making it better than it really is mm-hmm. um i would say that either both of my both of my older two daughters my youngest is six months old she doesn't she doesn't know she doesn't even know how to say mom or dad, much less God. So, mm-hmm. both of my older older daughters, I would say, I've been I've witnessed them multiple times pray sinners' prayer that would be more than adequate for salvation. I do believe that they both understand that. I do believe that they're saved um, and that they're walking with God. Mm-hmm. But I also realize that, from my perspective, immaturity as a Christian, looking at where they're at and the prayers that they prayed compared to where they're, they're at and their understanding for God. Um, they could look at it when they're 20 years old and be like, no dad. Yeah. I prayed before I went to bed one night and I told God, I asked Jesus to save me and, and told him that I trusted him, but I didn't, I had no idea what I was getting into. And, and for them, that point of conversion really where they really are born again may not come until later on in their life, even though right now they have made it, you know, maybe they've made a commitment to God. So I don't know. Um, I, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that they are, that they aren't, or that I, that I want to be the judge of that. Um, but I do think that there is a, a point of conversion besides just, I know plenty of people to set a sinner's prayer that show zero signs of really being converted and being born again, and seem to have very little interest in serving God. And so I would hate to, con- I would hate to confuse the whole idea of being born again with mm-hmm. the idea of them having said a sinner's prayer sometime back in their life. Okay. Now, can I, can I throw another idea yeah. out there? Okay. Because we need Beverly <clears throat> Montgomery on here to help finish, finish converting me into a real Christian. She said that she's going to work on me Good. after Good. our, after our, what was our podcast that we got into eternal security on? I think we had one on eternal security. I think that was the whole topic. No, it turned into that because it got hijacked because you kept getting back onto the one saved, always saved thing. And finally, I had to like, <laughs> I had to finally sure? express well, my viewpoint. I think it was on salvation anyway. Or do I have to be saved okay. to go to heaven? I think was the title of the podcast. Maybe. Okay. Anyway, so, so anyway. Um, okay. So you just mentioned something that I think you want to check out and I'm going through the book of Acts right now with my kids and also at our Sunday night home church. So I've been in the book of Acts a lot, you know, over the last several weeks, you know, studying it. And one thing that's interesting is that even after people got saved, what you found was there are some, what you find the majority of the cases to be is that people receive the Holy Ghost after they got baptized. Mm -hmm. So they got saved, then they got baptized. There were some that didn't receive the Holy Ghost for a little while after that. There are others that got saved and they got baptized in the name of Jesus and they had not even heard of the Holy Ghost. And then they got baptized, you know, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost as were commanded. And then they received the Holy Ghost. 
And something I would just have you consider is that after salvation, you are only going to see so much of a change in a person until they get baptized, because that is the time okay, when they start making a big change in their life because something happened. So the idea is in this theory that you get saved, your first act of obedience is baptism, believer's baptism. And then, so when you go through Matthew and you look at the Great Commission, he says, uh, get them saved, get them baptized, and then teach them everything whatsoever I have, you know, commanded you. So the idea is you get them saved, you get them baptized, and then you teach them the word of God. And that last one goes on forever. Salvation is, you know, a couple minutes to understand and, and learn and, and, and receive Christ. Baptism is, you know, a minute. And then uh, learning the Bible is the rest of your life. So the idea is that you are not supposed, and, and keep in mind, this is coming from a guy that believes that the order things are written in is just as important as what is written and what is not. Okay. So I believe that the, the order is important. So it goes salvation, it goes baptism, then it goes learn the Bible, meaning that without baptism, you are going to struggle learning the Bible because God is like, I told you steps one, two, and three, you are messing it up. You're doing step one. Now you're trying to do step three. It's not going to work because you're supposed to do step two. You're supposed to follow in believer's baptism. And I'm not saying that my doctrine is that you don't receive the Holy Spirit. You don't receive the Holy Ghost until you get baptized. I will say that that is the way several stories in the book of Acts read. And right. it's concerning enough where it's like, for me, after someone gets saved, you know, I, I don't even care that much that they understand what baptism means so long as they know that Jesus commanded it and they're like, yep, let's do it. Okay. And that was the story you brought up about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch where he he was reading the book. The guy was already reading the book of Isaiah and, and Philip explained it to him. And he's like, Oh, well, there's some water right here. What are we, what are we doing? And he's like, I don't know. Stop the chariot. Let's do this thing. So it's just another way of looking at it, which is more casual. And I know it's strange that I am arguing from the casual side and you are arguing from the serious side you know, where it's usually the opposite. I think you're trying to get me to lighten up a little bit, and not be so hardlined, you know, and I'm accusing you of being a pinko commie liberal Christian, you know? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I don't know. It'll, it'll definitely be a process to, um, to walk out as, as parents in this and to try to feel, feel a piece of that. I certainly don't feel any rush with it, partly because I do hold to the view that, um, as children that she's not going to be that God's not going to judge her for the fact that she wasn't baptized at seven years. I old. agree. He's going to be judging you. You're the one that's going to be in trouble <laughs> for it. So I'm not concerned Thanks. for your daughter <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, it'll be, I, and I have thought about that. You know, I would hate, I would hate for, for, you know, we, the whole family dies in a car crash next year and I, and I'm still waiting for her to, make sure that she has a, a good understanding of how she wants to deal with her teenage life or whatever before she makes a commitment to God. 
and and it could go either way and and so anyways i i definitely um i think that in this case i never i don't want to be the one standing between her and god i think in this case that she's gonna be baptized a lot younger than i was um i just i've never really been a proponent of baptizing small children and now i guess i have been a big proponent of spending plenty of time in the word with with your children at a very early age and so it comes up I mean, salvation, you know, came sure. up at a very, very early age for Megan. Um, and I was like, I mean, I'm the kind of guy that I'm, I'm like, I don't want anybody. I don't want somebody at church trying to push my kids into, you know, making a commitment to God out of peer pressure. Oh, yeah. I would be so yeah. upset if someone at my church was trying to get my kids to commit to God <laughs> in some way. I'm, thank you for saying that. I mean, Thank you for having the courage to finally bring that up. Let's get this stopped. Who is it at your church that's pushing your kids to make a decision for God? Have you talked to your pastor about this? We need a law. Hey, so, say, say, for instance, our, our kids are in a Christian school. I'm uh, pretty sure, and I, I teach music to these kids. I'm pretty sure that given... Uh, well, I teach music and then sometimes I give the like a devotions at the beginning of the school day or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that I could probably walk most of the children in in the school through a sinner's prayer, whether sure. they have any idea of what they're committing to or not. Sure. I'm pretty sure that I could I could step up and be like, hey, I got six people to make a commitment to God today. Sure. Um, and I, I would, I would hope that somebody wasn't going to be like, Hey, who all wants to raise their hand? Who's all going to get baptized today? And my kids are like, all right, I'll get baptized. And then we just do sure. this in a, in a, in a flippant way of immaturity. I would want my children to be seeking God, wanting, wanting to be baptized. And I do believe that's what it's come to with Megan. I don't think, I mean, initially it started off that way. She's like, Oh wait, there's somebody getting baptized. Can I go baptized too right now? <laughs> that was the first way all, I asked too. <laughs> we are all in agreement. We're glad you didn't just shove her into the pool right. and say done. No one's arguing that, but don't you think there's a possibility that you're going a little further than that? I don't see your oldest daughter as an, as an issue. Your next one down. How old is she? Four, five. Yeah. I mean that to me, would be concerning i'd be like ah, she, let's, she let's still has some theological more, you know issues I mean? she needs to work through the other day yeah. we drove past a cemetery and she was asking if that was heaven or hell <laughs> sure okay so let's hold off on that because she i guess she understands a little bit about the afterlife but she wasn't sure yeah. if that was heaven or hell and i'm not saying that you should get megan baptized i'm not trying to push that i'm just saying that i know your daughter and i don't see Although she's on the younger side of understanding, I don't see it as like, oh, definitely don't do it. You know, for me, it's like if you wanted to wait a year and, and you know, talk to her more about it and see how she is, you know, the next time they do it. I totally understand that. I just don't see it as alarming as you do. For me, I would talk to her about it give it a couple weeks or a month, talk to her about it again, see where she's at with the whole thing. And then if she wants to do it, great. If not, you know, okay. Whereas, you know, for me, the, the cutoff is more of like five and six and younger. It's, you know, it's a little. See the cutoff for me has always been like 18 ish. Yeah. That's, okay. that's just kind of the, the way that I grew up thinking that, I mean, it wasn't even socially or not socially acceptable, but it wouldn't have been accepted in the circles that I grew up to baptize sure. somebody under the age of 18, 
somewhere in that range. Um, and so that's, I'm, guess- I'm already giving it a huge leap to even consider it at seven. I, I you know, some people, yeah. you would have and been the thing is, out of a church. The thing is, is, is it's a, it's a part of, part of what I'm dealing with is, is a few different things. So like she wants to take communion at church. She understands uh-huh. communion, yeah. but we, we save that for baptized Christians and, you know, yeah, so she doesn't take communion. So that's another thing. And I, it's like, I don't want her to be, you know, marginalized as a, you know, you know, only a half-hearted Christian because her dad sure. says she can't get baptized at, yep. you know, at the age she's at. So anyway, these are things I'm dealing with. So I'll probably, I'll get back to you here within the next year or two and let you know what I decided. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be moving too quick on this, but I'm, I'm not going to, I don't need any more than six or seven years to think about it. And I'll have <laughs> no. I, I honestly <laughs> anticipate within the next year or two that, that she will be baptized, but it's, it's, that's, that's a huge stretch for me because I'm, I'm like, man, this, she's really young. So anyways, sure. All right. Um, believe it or not, we've had seven or eight people with us this whole time. I'm really sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah. God bless you for being able to put up with us. Caleb, I'm not kidding you, man. I pushed the button. I don't know why it's not stopping. I'm just going to close the program and unplug my camera and I'm going to go away. So um, I've really enjoyed this. Um, I doubt right. anyone's going to watch it. If anybody's been on here watching, go ahead, go ahead and go ahead and get on and here, here and tell us where you're watching from and and how you think that Patrick is is wrong in pushing me to baptize my seven-year-old daughter mm-hmm. then and then uh, I'll sleep better tonight because I'll feel I'll feel like I can <laughs> sleep okay, soft so, with a clean <clears throat> conscience I'm gonna share this with all of my independent Baptist church friends and uh, we're gonna have like 10,000 votes <laughs> like Caleb what are you talking about man get that girl in the water what are you you know <laughs> Awesome. All okay. right. Have a good night. Thanks. We'll do it again. It was an enjoyable discussion. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, now I can't even X out of the program. Oh, so here must be the part where I get to go on here without Patrick now. Wait. Host is not joined yet still says it's live am i still live on facebook oh yeah i'm still live on facebook all right so now's now's where we get to go on to the part without patrick and um, we should come up with a new theology about forks rather than spoons I have no idea how to end this now. I guess what's going to happen is I'm going to go off and uh, it's just going to be a black live video screen all night on here. Y'all have a good night. Thanks for watching us. And I'm going to X my.